Welcome to the High and Low Podcast. I am your host, Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo. Today we're going to do something different. We're going to do a deep dive on who actually owns the earrings that Erica Jane slash Girardi slash Chahoy maiden name is still very much fixated on. But as was established by a judge in 2022, they were purchased with client funds. We're going to dig into who those clients are. What was that case? Because these are the facts we're going to need to keep straight as we go through the rest of the season and into the reunion. Before we get into that, let's just talk about some Bravo news that's going on right now. Candy Burris announced that she is not coming back to Real Housewives. A lot of people say she had a lot going on. She was very busy. Even Candy, her reasons for not coming back are she had a lot going on. They let us sit around for a little too long. We got to mix it up. So whether she left or could kind of see the writing on the wall, we don't know, but we wish her well. And there's rumors that Portia may be coming back. I don't know how legitimate those are, but that would be really fun. She's an amazing housewife. She's so entertaining to me. We'll see what happens, but either way, a shakeup in Atlanta in the ATL. Vanderpump Rules started back up. Now, I don't watch Vanderpump Rules. I watch other people's recaps of it because I cannot stand Sandoval and Schwartz. I can't stand them. You cannot ask it of me to watch that show. I remember trying to catch up with the show just so that Scandaval would completely make sense to me. And I watched the episode where Schwartz, he throws a drink on Katie in her face. And I'm like, I was leaving voicemails for Kiki, the talk of shame. And I was like, this man threw a drink in her face and she later married this man. Not as a joke, not to leave him at the altar not to kick him off a cliff and get his life insurance. She just legitimately united with him, got the government involved, and decided that was the man that she wanted to be with. Look it, I feel for the women of Vanderpump Rules at the same time, I don't understand how these men have been given so much leeway for so long. I'm glad Scandaval happened. Because I think it blew the lid off of, no, we're not doing this anymore. This guy is awful. And his little friend is awful. And the two of them need to just go on and get. So I can't watch the show anymore. The lemons, I'll never get over him rubbing the lemons in his... <laughs> mm -mm. I can't watch it. I'll watch the recaps of it. I, I enjoy Lala. I love a sassy gal on Bravo. Uh, of course you know, Ariana, and I'm, I'm happy for all of her success. She's doing great in Chicago on Broadway. I cannot watch the show. I cannot see his face. It, maybe I can watch the reunion and just like do a rage recap of the reunion because it gives you a, a nice synopsis of the season and talks about the highlights and things, but I can't sit there every week. I know that. I know that I cannot. So that's my Achilles heel is I cannot watch Insufferable Men. Like Southern Charm is as bad as it gets for me. I can't go farther. I can't watch this man with like a candy necklace and, and, a, and a tank top and he's just being so awful and he's got a little sidekick. Mm -mm. No, I'm out. How do they have fans, pray tell? I don't know. All right, well, now that I'm riled, let's talk about the earrings. Now, to be clear, Per usual, when we jump into a deep dive, I am not a lawyer. I am referencing documents written by lawyers. None of this is acting with malice 
court cases, articles by the LA Times and New York Times, and other very large publications where they have a fleet of fact checkers and lawyers, I'm going to go over information. I will also be stating my own personal opinion. I have really struggled with how to get the fun facts that I know about the earrings to you in the clearest way possible. So I'm just going to do it in a linear fashion. We're going to go back in time. First, we will talk about the origin of the earrings, and then we will go into the case that actually paid for them. Erica and Tom were married in the year 2000. Tom was 60. Erica Chohoy was 28. Tom obviously enjoyed lavishing gifts on this third wife of his. They would fly on the private jets. We've all seen the photos of them smiling and giggling outside of the private jets. He gave her a lot of very expensive jewelry, had jewelry pieces made for her, and she referred to this several times on the show. She would talk about the jewelry collection. And she would bring them out with Mikey and they would show these beautiful diamond necklaces. And of course, her studs, there's a Marie Claire, it's still on my my post on Instagram, a Marie Claire interview where she's showing off her Cartier ring and her Cartier hoops. And she's very like proud and excited about the diamond jewelry. And he seemed to indulge that. And on the evening of December 28th, 2007, they went out for three hours. They went out to a dinner. While they were away, their house was robbed. The Pasadena house we've all seen a million times on the show. In a police report about that robbery, they said the diamond earrings, those six carat each diamond earrings, had been stolen from a glass jar on a bathroom counter along with several other pieces of jewelry. They estimated the value of the earrings to be $1 million in the year 2007. Fast forward the following year in 2008, the Girardis were away in Aspen, Colorado, when they found out that their home had again been burglarized. This one occurred over Thanksgiving. They had left on November 26th. Their housekeeper didn't come to work until November 28th, the day after Thanksgiving, and she discovered that thieves had been there. They had gotten in the same point of entry as the time before. This time they reported one of the things stolen as a Cartier watch. Then the following month in December of 2008, the Girardis were leaving and they noticed that there was a present on their front stoop. They didn't get out of the car and get it right away. And they said later on when they came home, the gift was gone and the people who work for them don't have it. So they're like, great, we were stolen from again. So the following month in January of 2009, They filed suit against their homeowners association for negligence and said that they had sustained damages in the amount of $1.2 million. They said that there were a bunch of streetlights that were out, that there should have been security guards, that there are gates to the neighborhood that were never closed, that there should have been cameras, the whole nine, the things that you would, that I would expect if I was living in a very high-end gated community in Pasadena. This case went on for three years. The Girardis were deposed. Tom was anyway. I'm reading quotes from it right now. As part of that case against their homeowners association, they also said that the value of their home had diminished due to the robberies. The Girardis presented a security expert, but in the end, the state Supreme Court cited other cases that held that security experts' opinions that landowners failed to provide security that those are insufficient to establish that failure caused 
the injury. So there's no way to prove that even if they had cameras, even if they'd had all the gates working, even if there'd been a security guard, that that would have absolutely prevented robberies. And even with PK and Dorit's robberies, they would, you know, tell us about their security system. They would say that they had actual security people there. Remember when somebody backed up PK's car weird in the driveway and he was like, the people after on the video, those are the security team. I'm like, you've got, you're actually paying human beings to be at your house, a security team, like the men on the roof of the White House, and you're still getting robbed. So that proves the point. Like you can have all the things in the world, but it, there's still human error. And there's still, if a burglar wants to get in and can get in, they will. The security that they had is pretty impressive. Just reading about the house in this lawsuit, it says, it's a 15,000 square foot house, huge, five acres of property, and the fence was 10 feet high in the front, four feet high in the back, 15 high foot gates with three six foot tall locked access gates, exterior lighting on the Girardi's property and is programmed to operate from dusk till dawn. There is an alarm system in the house. The Girardi's do not activate it themselves. This lawsuit says their housekeepers activate the alarm system. And the housekeepers work from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. during the week, all day. And then the housekeepers work from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Saturdays. That's a testament to the work, the silent domestic work, unpaid labor that most of us do without help. Honestly, that these housekeepers have to be there from 7 a.m. until 3 p.m. during the week. And it's really just, in 2007, Erica and Tom and maybe her son was still living there, but that's wow. And then they come in on Saturdays too. But anyway, okay, the alarm is only activated when the Girardis are away and the housekeepers are away. So they're blaming the HOA for all of these things that they say the HOA was lacking in doing. But if Erica had just put the alarm system on before they went out to dinner, then the alarm system would have gone off. But because the housekeepers left at 3 p.m. and they didn't go to dinner until 6 p.m., the alarm system wasn't on. And the reason for that is they don't ever put it on themselves. Only the housekeepers do. What? So the housekeepers aren't there in the middle of the night when they go to bed. So by that logic, they never turn their alarm on at night when they're resting their heads on their pillow with Chagall paintings and jewelry worth $15 million. Okay, let's continue. It says that on December 28, 2007, Erica left the house around 6 p.m. to meet Thomas for dinner. When they returned to the house at around 9 p.m., three hours later, they discovered that someone had broken in. And that's when they say a pair of earrings that they value in this case as being worth one million dollars. They say that it looks like the thieves got into the house by breaking glass in a door that led from the rear patio to the living room. And again, if the alarm system had been turned on, it would have gone off. And I think we saw that door when Erica did. Do you remember when she did that um, TV special? There used to be a special on where they would put aquariums in people's houses. I'm just going to be mumbling things in my old age. But like, remember that episode? I know somebody else out there is like, yeah, I saw that. 
It also says that after the burglary, Erica brought a guy who owned his own security, private security company, and he kind of lectured the neighborhood on how they needed to have, you know, lights. And he made general suggestions on things that they could do to make the neighborhood safer. His name was Ernie Garcia, and it said that he owned a private security company. And my brain loves a tangent. So yes, I looked up Ernie and he still works in security. He works for a place called GS1 Security and it looks kind of cool. Executive protection, private investigations, and uniform security. So I'm sure Ernie would have been glad to provide some uniform security for the HOA. I mean, if it wasn't for the threat of physical violence, I would love to be a PI, you know? I mean, I knit. I could sit quietly in my car for like three hours and wait for some dude to like show up at a mistress's house or something. We know I love a mask. We know I love a hat. I think I could do it, but I don't want anybody like cornering me in a parking lot and being like, why are you watching me and my girlfriend? It's like, I'm just trying to make some money and it's exciting. But Ernie and all the fellas who run this thing are retired detectives Uh, or retired sergeants, homicide detectives, things like that. So I'm sure Tom knew them one way or another. So they get married in the year 2000, and he originally gives her these earrings somewhere around that same time. They're stolen December 28th, 2007, and they had emotional value as well. He's quoted as saying, it was the first significant gift I'd given her. And this all became part of this Girardi collection. Bracelets, watches. And he once estimated the Girardi collection to be at $15 million. And he often shopped from MM Jewelers, which is a small shop in downtown LA's jewelry district. And then things get weird because he says to tax authorities who had started to ask questions at the end of that homeowners association lawsuit in 2012, because it went from 2009 to 2012, three years. And he says to them that those earrings were stolen in the beginning of the year 2007, not late 2007, matching the police report in the three years of court cases. He said they went out of town for a three-day weekend and, quote, fortunately, almost all of Erica's major pieces of jewelry were in a massive safe that could not be opened or moved, he wrote in a 2012 letter to tax authorities that was later filed in bankruptcy court. But he said the earrings were not placed in the safe, that they had been left in a little cup in her dressing room, and the thieves took those earrings two of his watches, two of her watches, and a bracelet. So again, the original story that they told before courts and judges and everyone when they were having their lawsuit against their HOA was that the earrings were stolen on December 28, 2007. They were stolen from a cup in the bathroom, that they were worth a million dollars. Then years later, he's saying they were actually stolen in the first few months prior to March in 2007, and they were in her dressing room in a little cup, not, as they previously said, in her bathroom in a little jar. So a difference in timeline, location, both. And he says that is why he had MM Jewelers make a near identical replacement for those earrings in March of 2007 that he then paid for with that $750,000 check from client funds. No one, the LA Times people who have the means to look, 
can find a police report of a burglary in early 2007. Pasadena police said there was only one burglary reported at the Girardi's home in the year of 2007. That was the theft of jewelry on the night of December 28th. December 28th, at the end of 2007. Nine months after he wrote a check to M&M Jewelers from a client trust account for $750,000. So like Tom's trying to rewrite history here and I don't know why. And this is the problem when you lie. It's too easy to get tripped up because the details matter. I'm looking at all this, this tangled web before me and I'm trying to figure out the, if there is insurance fraud, where that comes into play. And it really is almost like a shell game. Like I've got a pair of earrings on the table and it's like, okay, you have these earrings, you've had them from 2001. And then out of nowhere in March of 2007, you send a check from a client fund to have another pair made, but you don't even report them as having been stolen until eight, nine months later. What? What? And I'm sitting here rubbing my temples, saying to myself, is it as simple as Tom just wanting $250,000 from an insurance company? Is it worth all of this hassle to know that you have a pair of earrings? Who knows what they were worth when he gave them to her in 2001? And you say, I'm going to say that these were stolen and that they're worth a million dollars. So, but before I do that, let me see if this guy can make me a pair that's, you know, with a little bit cheaper. Let's see if he can find the right stones, whatever. Let me cut him a check for $750,000. Then a few months later, after I know he's good and he can make the earrings to swap, I'm going to say that these original ones were stolen and they were worth one million. And then she's not going to be too upset because... I'm going to say, but look, honey, I had these replacement ones made for you. And she doesn't know that they're worth seven fifty dollars and not a million dollars. I'll tell her and I'll have him write it up that like, if you tried walking into Cartier, these are going to cost you over a million dollars. And he's going to write a letter saying as much. So everybody's happy and I get $250,000. Plus, now I got two pairs of earrings, the original ones that nobody can know about. Maybe I give those to the jeweler off the books and he gives, like, how does this work? I don't know. I'm not at that level, but is that the game? Also in the year 2007, that's when Erica started to become Erica Jane. And I'm sure that was expensive, as she has said herself. It's expensive to be my. You know, she made no secret about it. Music videos, music producers, cutting CDs, her attire, her hair, the whole persona, going on tour, Mikey, people to teach her how to pat the puss. I'm asking myself, was Tom looking for a way to fund that without ever actually having to fund it? And then I'm sure you still take a loss on Erica Jane EJ Global LLC. And so it's a handy dandy little thing all the way around. If there was nefarious action in the discrepancy between the dates and the amounts of money and all of that, that's the only thing I can think of that makes sense. If you could think of something else, DM me as to why there would be different amounts, different dates, reporting the burglary at the end of the year when you said you were making a replacement for earrings that were stolen in the beginning of the year. It's like a lifetime movie where a guy tells his mistress that he's a widower but his wife is still alive. He just hasn't done it yet. 
These earrings have been such a bane on their existence. I, I'm shocked that Erica wants to keep them in her life or even the funds that they're worth. They seem to have very bad karma. State tax authorities were asking questions about those earrings and about their burglary back in 2012. Tom sent an official at the Franchise Tax Board in Sacramento documentation to prove that there was a theft. And he sent them that copy of the $750,000 check that he wrote to M&M Jewelers, along with a sworn declaration in which the jeweler himself attested to using that money to procure replacement earrings. Now, some of us have seen that letter. If you've looked through the court documents or if you've watched Emily Baker, I think I even put it up when I was first looking into all of this. Now, here's where it gets real fun. Girardi did not include a police report or a receipt for the jewelry's purchase, but he did direct tax authorities to guess who? Thomas Layton, a top investigator at the State Bar of California. And he said, Layton, quote, assisted us as a friend in this situation. Now, for my longtime followers, you bristled when I said Thomas Layton. Because Thomas Layton, there's so many articles about this, but he was proven to be getting paid by Tom. It, there was a lot of corruption there. The chief of police in that famous episode where Erica and Tom are at Morton's and they stand up and they're like, Chief, I'm Chief. And they give him little kissy kisses and they're like, how are you? And he's like, I'm going to have lunch with Layton. And he says Layton. I am not crazy. He says Layton. But the closed captioning, why would they know what that means? Why would they know that that's someone's name? So they put, I'm having lunch with the lady, which makes no sense. A very quick Cliff's Notes on Tom Layton is that he was an investigator at the State Bar of California. And Tom Girardi gave him and his wife more than $1 million in gifts and payments. Gee, I wonder if there's any, I wonder if there's any connection to that and why the State Bar of California never stopped Tom, despite all of the alarm bells and warnings that clients sent in. Hmm. So you think? Tom Layton and his wife Rose, they received more than $600,000 in payments from Tom Girardi, and they had use of a credit card that was paid for by Girardi and Keese. And it became well known that State Bar officials with close ties to Tom Girardi would just make any complaints about him go away. So Tom telling a state franchise tax board in Sacramento, swearing up and down that that $750,000, regardless of where the funds came from, was for replacement earrings. And you can trust me because here's a letter from the jeweler who we'll talk about in a minute. And here's a letter from my buddy, Tom Layton. That just makes me suspicious. But not surprisingly at all. The tax board's investigation into Tom just kind of poof, disappeared, and nobody really knows what happened to it. Okay, now hold on to your butts, because this is not the first time that Girardi has gone to M&M Jewelers to make another piece of jewelry for the Girardi estate by using money that he should not be touching. So around 2012, he wanted to buy a diamond ring. So the jeweler had to go out and buy this stone, but the jeweler didn't have the money to pay for that giant stone. Did he get it from Tom? I guess not, because he got it from a guy named Burge Boyajian. It could be pronounced Boyajian. Boyajian. I see, even if they're a possible bad guy, I still don't want to mispronounce the name. And this guy was a lawyer. He had settlement funds for victims 
of the Armenian Genocide. Without the approval of the settlement board, he transferred $150,000 of those funds to M.M. Jewelers. All right. To buy a stone for a ring for Erica Girardi that Tom wanted to make. The LA Times has a great article on this, of course. It's from March 23rd, 2022. The title of the article is called A Blood Money Betrayal, How Corruption Spoiled Reparations for Armenian Genocide Victims. The article talks about how Los Angeles is home to one of the largest Armenian communities. And so in the mid-2000s, lawyers got together and they sued to collect life insurance policies on victims of the Armenian Genocide. They had class action lawsuits that came out to $37.5 million. However, it says that all of these reparations that people had hoped for devolved into just corruption. There were diverted funds. There was misconduct that even the lawyers involved acknowledged as fraud. The very famous lawyer, Mark Garagos, was one of the main lawyers involved in this. Now, this guy, Boyajian. His name was all over checks that went to people that they shouldn't have gone to. So Garagos and the other lawyer involved in this, they were like, that guy, that guy's, why, who's he? And why is his name everywhere? And he was just some like consultant. He didn't really have a role in the claims, but his name was all over it. He had gotten a hold of the checks. He had gotten a hold of the master list of claimants a confidential database that even some of the higher up lawyers couldn't get into. And like, I'm just like sitting here laughing at the levels of corruption. One guy was a Syrian resident who didn't even ever apply for money, but he got half a million dollars. And it turned out that this guy, Boyajian, was just like a childhood friend of his. And the guy, the childhood friend is like, I didn't even know that he did that, but he opened this account in my name and put half a million dollars in it. So I don't know if Boyjian, if his game was like to just think of everyone you've ever met in your life and open a bank account for them and put as much money in it as possible. And you're like, oh yeah, no, those are all people who should have been paid out. And really it's just you with all this money. I don't know. But he pled the fifth because that's what you do. But don't worry about him. He's fine. The article was written in 2022 and it says... Quote, in an interview last year at his mansion overlooking Truesdale Estates, he said he had no motive to embezzle from the settlement. Good. He's got a mansion overlooking other houses. That's nice. Gesturing to his opulent home and swimming pool, he said, I'm not a poor guy. I don't need $100,000 or $200,000 to steal from anybody. He says he could not explain the $500,000 check to his childhood friend, but he admitted one error and that is transferring $150,000 in settlement funds to a high-end downtown jeweler. He told the LA Times that the jeweler was a friend who needed a bridge loan to buy a diamond for a ring that a customer, an LA lawyer named Tom Girardi, wanted to give to his wife, Erica. And he said the amount was eventually paid back. And you can say this guy, Boyjian, is so terrible. That's exactly what Tom was doing. They're just both treating client settlement funds like petty cash, like it's just their personal piggy bank to take from, to use how they need to and want to give a friend this much. Sure. Oh, my friend needs to make some jewelry for Erica Girardi. Oh, here you go. Take this in order to buy the rock. All of this is horrible and horrifying 
but it just seems like not a big deal to these men. All of this is reasons for them to have severe repercussions from the California Bar Association. But look, one of the investigators for that association is one of Tom's good friends, Thomas Layton. So nothing is happening. This article about this corruption was written by Harriet Ryan and Matt Hamilton. And those are the two people that have been tracking the Girardi cases since this all went down in 2020. I would love to chat with them. They are seeing this like they're using 100% of their brain. You know, all of us are just looking at this from little pieces. They're in so deep with so many facts. I can't even imagine the things that they know and that they've connected the dots on that we haven't. Like, I've got to go do other things. They're getting paid to delve into this. Oh, amazing. Like of all the directions the Girardi collection could go, I never once imagined that misappropriated funds concerning the Armenian genocide would also be involved. The only silver lining for, you know, Tom on this one is that it does not anywhere say that he knew where the money came from to buy the diamond that he wanted the jeweler to make. But isn't that odd, though? Like, he wrote the guy a check in March saying, here's 750000 make me these earrings. Why didn't you prepay for the ring? Why was the jeweler in this weird spot of having this guy say, give me this ring, but then you didn't pay for the ring and he's got to go buy the diamond somehow? This whole thing smells like three-day-old fish. It really does. And surprise, surprise, there are no records of the grand jury issuing any indictment. The lawyer who dipped into those settlement funds, he pled no contest to a felony and a misdemeanor charge, and he made false claims to the state bar. Welcome to the club, I guess, because Tom and all his friends have been doing that for a long time. But he served no jail time. No jail time. But if any one of us go into Walmart and we don't scan one of our apples and they go into the bag, they're going to arrest us in the parking lot. Now, I don't shop at Walmart because I hate the Walton family with a passion that burns bright like a thousand suns. But I know that for a lot of people, that's the only option. That was one of the only like stores that were around me growing up. So I've done my time in Walmart. But there have been cases where they falsely accuse someone of shoplifting. And then what they do is they send you a bill afterwards saying, OK, well, if you don't want us to pursue civil action, give us $200. So if you're not guilty, then all of a sudden you have to just give Walmart $200 so that their gigantic fleet of lawyers doesn't come after you and cost you essentially more than $200 just to try to defend yourself. And then if you are guilty and you stole baby formula or whatever it is that you needed to get by, even if it was a bag of chips, then that bag of chips all of a sudden is going to cost you $200 just to get the Walton family off your back. And feel free to look this up. And this is why it disgusts me that Andy is doing ads for Walmart. Like you could not pay me any amount of money to do ads for, for them. But in 2021, I believe it was. Yes, it was 2021. All of this false shoplifting accusations came to a head when a woman in Alabama won a $2.1 million settlement because Walmart accused her of shoplifting and arrested her. They said that she didn't pay for her groceries at self-checkout when she did, when they arrested her. The criminal case was dismissed a year later for want of prosecution, but then this is where they get you. She started getting letters from a law firm 
saying that it represented Walmart and that they were going to file a civil suit against her unless she paid them a $200 settlement fee, which was more than the groceries she bought that day. A jury found that Walmart abused a process known as civil recovery. They said the defendants, Walmart, have engaged in a pattern and practice of falsely accusing innocent Alabama citizens of shoplifting and thereafter attempting to collect money from the innocently accused. I've seen a lot of different websites talking about some from, you know, defense lawyers saying, don't pay those if you get those letters. Please find a lawyer and have them give you sage advice on this. But some lawyers say that this is a scam and that it's just a way for these giant companies who already make a ton of money, that this is just another way for them to make more money on top of that. So if that ever happens to you, please find a lawyer. I mean, in this day and age, you probably put it on TikTok and and have the crowdsourcing of the universe help out. Your American corporations are so disgusting. Don't get me sidetracked. All right, here we go. Eminem Jewelers says that Girardi had six or seven pieces custom made by them through 2017 or 2018. And to me, that's a very interesting indicator of, I think, the wheel started falling off for Girardi 2019 and then the pandemic hit in 2020 and things really went sideways and he couldn't keep grabbing from different pots of money. My personal opinion is that it just got to be too much and he couldn't keep all the plates spinning anymore. The rest of this article goes on to talk about how normal it is in Los Angeles for somebody to walk in with their wife and then their mistress and then a girlfriend and maybe they get him a 10 carat diamonds and he's like, and it sounds crazy, but that's a natural occurrence. You know, it's it's ultra gaudy. It pulls on your earlobe. And after a while, you might need to get your earlobe stitched up. So watch out for the Beverly Hills women who have long, stretchy earlobes because they've been wearing giant earrings. And I guess that's maybe that's going to be a new status symbol, having just like ear earlobes that are just pulled down, grazing your shoulders because you're putting giant jewelry and diamonds on them. I'm cool with mine being taut. I'm going to stick with a taut lobe. So the irony of them fighting their homeowners association in court for three years, losing in 2012, and then seven, eight years later, everything comes crashing down for them. And because of that case, there's a picture of the check he wrote. There's a letter from the jeweler saying this money was for these earrings. And the bankruptcy trustee says, give me the earrings then. You bought this with client money. This should go into the pot of money that's going to go back to clients. That's what Erica was fighting. The first argument she filed was statute of limitations, saying, I've had them for so long. It's been too long. The statute of limitations to take these back from me has run out. I get to keep them. And she lost that. Because she lost that, those earrings were put up for auction. Whether or not they were actually worth $1 million or $750,000, they sold on December 7th, 2022, for $312,500, less than half of the amount Tom cut the check for. Even after they were sold, or maybe because they were sold to Ronald Richards, the lawyer that she can't stand and he bought them for his wife, she files again. And this time the argument is, well, if they were bought with client funds, then they shouldn't be part of the bankruptcy as part of the Girardi estate. They're not actually, they shouldn't actually be put into that bucket. And that is what the court agreed with her about. 
in July of 2023. Again, the earrings are already gone. They're already belonging. They're on somebody else's, stretching somebody else's earlobes down to the ground. But she still is fighting this fight. And the court agreed that the earrings were not the bankruptcy estate's property because they were never Tom's property. And therefore, they should not have been turned over to the bankruptcy trustee. However, the entire deal, the ordeal with the drama of the earrings has still been remanded for the bankruptcy court to sort it out. So what we hope is that the bankruptcy trustee, we hope that she is finding someone who was a diabetes client that is hopefully still around to say, hey, Tom stole this money technically from you all. These earrings are actually yours, is what I hope happens. Now, here's where it gets gross to me. In March of 2023, she filed for damages in connection with the earrings because she says the court made a legal error in auctioning them off and that she is entitled to money damages based on the proceeds of a sale of a marital gift received by her in 2007 that was taken from her and sold by the trustee. So yes, she wants the money. She wants the money that the earrings were worth now, according to this record of her filings. Again, my angle is get somebody who was one of the diabetes clients to step forward and say, I'll take that. That money should not go to Erica Jane. That money should go to me. How hard can it be to find these 37 people and say, you know, what's $750,000 divided by 37, like 20 something thousand dollars each you get because we, we realize that these earrings were purchased with your money. Now, I don't know what's going on with her and I don't know why she's saying to the ladies like, I, you know, I won. They're not her earrings. They belong to the clients. And that was so clearly stated in 2022. Judge Barry Russell said two things. One, he said, no, we don't have any proof that Erica knew that these were bought with ill-gotten gains, but we do know that they were bought with client funds and therefore they went to the bankruptcy trustee. But again, she's already been shown on the show to not understand legal terms. So remember when she was all excited and she was like, my case was dismissed. Without prejudice. So without prejudice means that it can be filed again. With prejudice means that it cannot, like this is the end, fiend, cut, that's a wrap. So she was celebrating mistakenly, thinking that her case was, it's not over. It got transferred from Chicago to Los Angeles because it made more sense to have it there. And so here, again, I'm asking myself, is she confused? Or does she not understand legal terms? Or are her lawyers doing a terrible job of explaining things to her? She can go online and read this stuff. I would implore her to go read what Emily Baker posts, what the Bravo docket posts. Those are lawyers. They are women. They break things down in a very easy to understand way. Those of us who are not lawyers, but who have been reading all this documentation since 2020 have been making memes. I've put up so many like infographics, like we've been doing this patiently and it has been very frustrating. I'm over it now. I'm in more of a calm place, but I would get very upset in 2020 seeing her, you know, put her booty 
up on Instagram after I would be like reading these court case filings that were so horrific and so heartbreaking. And she seemed either aloof or not concerned or a mix of both. And just posting stuff like, should I make this my new dating profile? And I'm like, it's your wedding anniversary to a man who used actual blood money to buy you jewelry. All of the victims are watching this and they all see this. And now I've come to a place to realize I, I really honestly do not think that she has that empathy chip. I don't think she has it. And so I no longer expect it. And at this point, it's just really hoping that she understands what's going on. This season, she's already had a lady come on the show and she's like, can you help me be empathetic? So I'm like, okay, well, we knew that. We knew that, that you just don't have that. You just are not capable of that other than for yourself. You feel very sorry for yourself, but no one else. And of course, her makeup team, all the people that she's paying are just going to be her echo chamber and just saying, well, I be like, I do be like that sometimes. Like they're trying to get paid. They're trying to do their job. They're trying to keep their client happy. I don't think anyone is being honest with her. But now we're going to learn about the case that provided the funds for Tom to buy those $750,000 earrings. Tom pulled that money from an account that was supposed to be for clients who had been injured by a diabetes drug called Resilin. There are so many bad players in the world, and this situation is just going to bring so much of that to light. The drug Resilin was considered a blockbuster diabetes drug, and it made over $2.1 billion in sales, but was also one of the most important reversals of approval in FDA history. A company called Warner Lambert submitted Resilin for FDA review in the summer of 1996. The medical officer who was assigned to examine the drug immediately found problems. His name was Dr. John Grigrian, and he said that he believed Resilin would harm the liver and the heart. He also questioned the viability of it truly being able to lower blood sugar for patients with adult onset diabetes. But the drug maker didn't like that. Shocker. They had him pulled off of the case. They accused him of having intemperate language. They're like, he's being too harsh with us, kind of a thing. Like, what? Our new precious baby drug is going to cause liver and heart damage? Way harsh, Ty. You're too harsh. We want someone else. And so his entire medical review that he did, where he was recommending against approving the drug, all of that was purged from the files and all of that was withheld from the FDA advisory committee when they reviewed it. So the drug maker got what they wanted. And in 1997, January to be exact of 97, the drug went up for sale. It got its approval and it went on the market. By the fall of 1997, so eight to nine months later, there were dozens of patients who had been hospitalized and a handful of them had had sudden liver failure. But still, the drug makers did not want to pull it. They were like, we'll just monitor people's uh, liver health and make sure they don't have liver failure and we'll be fine. That's how we do in America. In America, we're like, it's fine. But Britain, they pulled it. Pulled it as of December 1st, 1997. It wasn't even on the market for a full year there. But here, oh, we were fine with leaving it. Two years later in 1999, a senior FDA epidemiologist named David Graham said that Resilin was, quote, among the most dangerous drugs on the American market. He said patient monitoring is not going to protect anybody from liver failure. And he pointed to three people who were monitored monthly 
and they died. So it was available in the United States for about three years. Finally pulled around the year 2000, there were 63 liver failure deaths, and it was suspected in a total of 391 deaths. LA Times article says officials have never estimated how many Resolin patients died of heart-related complications. There were also seven non-fatal organ transplants that were needed as a result of the drug. But what happened to Warner Lambert, you say, the company that pushed so hard for fast tracking of this drug and didn't want it pulled off the market and instead four separate times updated the warning labels instead of having it pulled? Don't worry about them. Pfizer bought them in the year 2000 when they were flopping on the docks. Pfizer acquired Warner Lambert for $120 billion in June of the year 2000. Pfizer is the world's largest pharmaceutical company, as we all know. So at the end of the day, there were thousands of people who had either been injured, had long-term liver and heart problems, or the families of people who had died as a result of using Resolin. All of those people got together and there were class action lawsuits. And that's where Girardi comes in, along with other lawyers. He didn't represent every single one of them. It looks like he represented 37 people in one suit that I'm looking at. By the year 2009, Pfizer, who again bought Warner Lambert, settled or resolved more than 35,000 Reslin lawsuits in federal, state, and local court, settling or paying damages. And it cost the company a total of $750 million. Now, from the drug company's perspective, you make $2.1 billion in sales. Eh. What's paying out $750 million, right? That's just the cost of business. All these 35,000 people, they all got different settlements depending on the judge they had, the circumstances, all of that. One woman in Texas got $43 million because the drug destroyed her liver. And the judge and the jury agreed with her on that. A woman in the state of New York got $2 million. She had side effects from the diabetes drug, but no sign of permanent liver damage. But for the damage she did sustain, she got $2 million. So there was no like set or agreed upon amount. It, the variables were all there as you would hope they would be, as you would expect they would be. So for Tom to represent at minimum 37 people who were injured or who passed away from the drug, you can only imagine what that grand total amount was that he ended up getting from Warner Lambert slash Pfizer. We would hope that Tom's website of GirardiAndKeys.com would have had things like that little bragalicious page showing what they got for different settlements. But his website's gone. Uh-oh. If only there was a way to see what his website used to say. Well, there is. And we don't gatekeep here. I hate a gatekeeper. Knowledge is power and we should always have it. There's a website called The Way Back Machine. W-A-Y, Way Back Machine. And all you have to do is take a website that currently exists or used to exist and put it into the Way Back Machine and it has taken snapshots of that website since its inception. So Tom's website has been around since the internet was created because that's how old his firm is. His firm been going since the 70s. Scam's been going since the 70s, that's for sure. And so I put it in there and then I go all the way back to the year. I think I'm in 2011 right now. These are the kind of rabbit holes I get down into. I just cuddle up down in them. But I'm in there, I'm in 2011 and I go to the page about cases. I tried to go earlier than that, but it was, it was like nobody was paying attention to the website. I don't know if it wasn't important to him. He used a flip phone in the year of our Lord 2022. So like, I don't think technology was like really important to them. But in 2011, 
they have a list of cases. And one of them says $68 million settlement with a major pharmaceutical company for personal injuries to consumers of a prescription drug. I personally believe that to be the Resolin diabetes drug case. That's my theory because of the timeline where it falls. But if Tom represented 37 people and the settlement was $68 million, if it was equitable, they would all get $1.83 million. Now, that's not including what would be deducted for lawyers' fees and whatever. Let's just say $1 million. We don't know exactly what they got. We hope somebody's looking into that. But that's a giant pot of money that he would have had access to. And if it was the $68 million, you know, 40% of that, which is usually what a high-powered lawyer will take when they're going in for all or nothing, 40% of that would be 27.2. So that's what he would have made, which is a lot of money. He's got to pay his lawyers. He's got to pay for his time. If he traveled, if he brought in experts, all of that stuff, they take that hit up front and they look for that 40% after. But that Resolin client trust account is what he wrote the check for the $750,000 for the earrings from. Despite there being a line in one of the cases saying that Tom allegedly represented over a thousand Resolin plaintiffs, including more than 350 in the MDL and other cases that are being transferred to him, I only ever saw 37 actual human being names. Some of them are first and last names. Some of them are only last names. So those 37 people in my mind paid for Erica's earrings. And that amount of money is still owed them. I'm very curious as to how much money they actually got paid from the settlement. There are so many rumors that Tom paid extremely low compared to what the actual settlement was for. I don't think anybody was checking the books, checking him, saying, okay, now show me your, show me your work. Show me your math. What was the settlement? How much did you take? Put all the chips on the table and how much did you allot out to each person? If there was ever a time to be completely transparent, it would be in that part of the process of all of that fight, all of those months or years of litigation. Here's what we ended up with and here's how the chips fell. And again, we hope that smart people are on it and that this is some future article that we read or case filing that we read where somebody actually went through and saw what was taken, what was owed, and what wasn't paid out. And the examples of Tom Girardi just pocketing client cash when he should have been paying it out to people, it goes on and on and on. There's not enough time in the day. An article from the New York Times in 2023 said, Mr. Girardi and Mr. Kamen, which that was his CFO, Chris Kamen. And when all of this happened, I was like, where's the CFO? Where's Chris Kamen? And I'm so glad that he has been brought in and they arrested him, I want to say, like two years ago. Remember, he's the one that he was paying like a, a sex worker. Sex work is work. And he was like buying her Hermes bags and all kinds of stuff and vacation houses. Anyway, they found him when he came back to the United States to visit family. They brought him in. And a New York Times article talks about how he and Girardi are accused of pocketing most of the settlement money from clients and transferring just a small amount to them. And then they would tell the clients that these little amounts were just advances and don't worry, we're good for the rest. And they gave an example of in 2019 that Girardi had gotten a $17.5 million settlement from a lawsuit for injuries in a car accident by two people and their child. And their child was paralyzed in the crash. But instead of giving that child's portion of the settlement money in a trust like they were supposed to, Mr. Girardi and his CFO, Chris Kamen, used that settlement money 
to pay for the law firm's operating expenses while delivering clients a fraction of what was owed to them. You want to talk about dark and evil? That's dark and evil. We're coming up on the hour, but I'm going to attack on one thing. I'm going to give you a juxtaposition to Erica's stance. If you found out that jewelry that your husband gave you was actually not paid for with his money, it was paid for with money that belonged to people who were suffering, and that was their settlement money, I wouldn't want it. Most of us wouldn't want it. And I'm going to give an example of someone who also got jewelry and gifts from Tom. And when they found out how they were paid for, they, unlike Erica, didn't want it. How many of you remember where you were on December 19th, 2020, and what happened on that date? It was like 11 p.m. Eastern time. I was getting ready for bed. Instagram blows up. Erica Jane has gone online outing Tom Girardi's mistress by the name of Honorable Trisha A. Bigelow. Bigelow. Not sure how she pronounces that. We're going to call her Trisha because it just rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. No one knows how Erica became aware of Justice Bigelow, if this is something that she always knew about or something she discovered in 2020 when everything was crashing down for Tom. But she posted a bunch of screenshots of like old school cell phones. And it was like text messages from the justice. My post about it is probably still in my feed somewhere. It was such a crazy night. And she said, quote, he was paying her sex bill and paying for her plastic surgery. The messages between Trisha and Tom were of her asking him to send money to a cosmetic surgeon in West Hollywood. And she gave the doctor's address and said, please remember. Erica deleted the post pretty soon after, but she had put up Trisha's phone number. And so people who love Erica, especially back then when they didn't know any better, they just barraged Trisha's cell phone number with threats and negative messages. And she happily parted with several things that Tom gave her that included a Cartier watch, Cartier love necklace, Cartier love bracelet, all of that stuff. She handed it over. So Trisha says she had a four-year affair with Tom Girardi. During their courtship, he gave her jewelry. He would cut her checks. He gave her money to buy a beach house. And a lot, but not all of this, was from client funds. Some of it was from accounts that he shared with Erica, and some of it was from his law firm's bank account. Trisha's attorney said, Justice Bigelow does not want anything even potentially connected with monies Girardi took from his client victims. And she's horrified and appalled that she was unknowingly a recipient of tainted gifts. And she has disgorged all gifts she's aware of over the last two days. That was back in August of 2022, as the bankruptcy trustee was trying to amass everything they could, all the crap. He also gave her $300,000 to buy a beach house. And I don't know what happens in that situation because that was from a client trust fund that he wrote that $300,000 check to her. And Tom loves to help a lady buy a house. Remember, a woman named Michelle Alway, who used to be his secretary, started getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from Tom in the 1990s. And then it turns out that she gave birth to his son. And that son grew up to be Donald Alway. And that son also grew up to be the lead for the FBI's Los Angeles field office. You can't write this. He gave Michelle Alway $131,000 towards the mortgage of her home in Carmel-by-the-Sea between 1993 and 1998, and that was uncovered in his divorce filings from his second wife. And now his son, Donald Alway, currently co-owns that residence with his mother, and that property is valued at more than $1.2 million. 
His son, Donald Alway, was a former L.A. County Sheriff's deputy who then became head of the local FBI office. That story broke in 2022, and L.A. Times has a great article on it, per usual. The $300,000 that he wrote from a client trust account to Trisha for her condo, that's got a dark story as well. The account held funds owed to cancer victims and other residents of a polluted Inland Empire community who had sued a cement manufacturer in Riverside Superior Court in 2008. And to this same day, many of those victims have still not received their full settlements. We never got a dime, said Michelle Gans, a claimant in the bankruptcy case whose mother Sandy lived near one of the cement plants and died of lung cancer. We did everything they said we needed to. They just never paid us. So there's plenty of talk about returning jewelry and things like that that in my mind depreciate after you buy them. They just do. It's hard to sell jewelry, I think. But real estate, that appreciates. And so I'm kind of surprised that there's not talk about like, well, you know, I pulled some of the equity out and that beach house was worth X dollars 10 years ago and now it's worth this. So I pulled out the 300,000 and here you go. I don't want that. Give that back to the clients who were owed it. I don't see that there's any mention of that. I'm curious to know if that's going to come in the next couple of years or if they're just like, well, that was a freebie. You got your $300,000. It's in your beach house. Nothing we can do about it. So that I'm confused about because I know that they have, you know, seized other real estate that Tom owned and things like that. So if he made investments in other people's real estate and it was from a client fund, that's still client money. Anyway, I look forward to this being explained to us one day. I had a whole diatribe about Erica at the end, but I've, I've deleted it. And I'm, I'm just going to say this. It seems like the Girardis have a problem with taking accountability and instead they look for someone else to blame. Instead of saying, yeah, on December 28th, 2007, when I went to go meet you for dinner and the house was completely empty and the housekeepers were gone for the day, I should have turned on the security system. Instead of saying that, they blame the HOA. They want their HOA to pay them $1.3 million, whatever it was. And it's the HOA's fault and it's the lighting and it's this. You didn't turn your security system on. And you have the audacity to say in legal documents, oh no, that's not, we don't, we don't do that. The housekeepers turn it on when we're not home. You don't have a finger. You can't walk over to your security system and press arm, disarm, stay away. We all have them. You're too fancy, but you can burn three years of court costs. I know he's a lawyer. It doesn't cost him much, but it still junks up the system. Three years of that to go after your HOA. Similarly, with the Marco Marco case, Tom says, oh, what are these? You're spending a lot of money. This is, look at all these charges. And she's like, Marco Marco's stealing from me. And they do a whole wire sting operation on these designers who've been making her pat the puss cat suits. You're going to send this man to prison, accusing him of overcharging her because they're too deep in the hole. It's that warped logic that's chilling to me not caring what repercussions that has on other people. And I see it the same way as still being obsessed with the earrings and wanting these earrings or the value of the earrings, even though you know, and it's been proven over and over again that they were bought with client funds. And she's saying on the show that they don't know that they were bought with client funds. They were bought with client funds. And I think people, the general public, Bravo Sphere and beyond, are pretty tired of this same old thing. Like we keep tuning in, hoping that, it's going to somehow improve. People are interested in The Housewife and The Hustler Part 2 
because they want to see the victims that she's going to sit down with. Without a sit down, there would be no reason to watch part two of The Housewife and The Hustler. And I remember when that happened, I heard that it was going to happen. And then I saw that it was happening on social media. And I was like, good God. And I cringed because I was like, I don't think these victims are going to get what they're looking for. But what they are giving her is a platform and attention and a hook. And for people to be like, maybe she's turned over a new leaf. And I hope that she does. I, I really do. But after almost like being a student of her behavior, I just, I just don't think that that's how she operates. And at this point, I don't know if she's lying to herself or to us or both. Because I think there's a lot of lying to yourself that has to take place to keep calling yourself the good guy, the champion for the little guy like Tom did for decades when in reality he knew what he was doing was wrong. There's no way he didn't know that. There's no way that the people working for him didn't know that. So my theory is they rationalize it by saying, well, overall, overall, we help people. Yeah, we might give them pennies on the dollar that they're supposed to get, but they wouldn't get anything if it wasn't for us. I deserve to be able to, to buy my mistress a condo. I should have a private jet. My wife should have custom-made jewelry whenever she wants it. Let's get a Lambo. Like that caliber of living is, again, a few people pointed it out, like for what he did for a living, he really was, he was living like he was a rock star or, I mean, that's not normal for a lawyer, even as good as he was. And then I'm like, was he good? Or did he just know every judge in town and take him to dinner and get him, you know, Perry Como concerts? Because for a lot of old white guys, the question is, were you good or did you just fail upwards your entire career? Because there were a lot. There were almost 300, I want to say, complaints to the Bar Association. So every, for everybody who's like, oh, he was amazing in the courtroom. He's amazing in the courtroom. He might have just been a cocky short dude. He might have just walked in there with a lot of confidence and he never got checked. And that confidence seeped into wife number three. But I've got to go watch the this week's episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So that will be the next pod that will drop on Monday. And then I've got other dives planned. I don't want to exhaust you all with Girardi stuff. There are so many dives I could do on Girardi stuff. It's wild. So I'll just spin the wheel. I'll spin the deep dive wheel and we'll see what else we get next week. In the meantime, I hope that was helpful to go on the journey, the back backstory of earrings. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe, tell a friend. This is a one-stop shop over here. We're doing it all. And oopsies, because the last pod, I messed up my ending music because I was so eager to leave for Costco. And it was a great trip to Costco. It really was. There was a free sample of this chicken. I'm sure it was tortured chicken, but it was chicken and it had a little bit of barbecue sauce on it. It was like prepared in a frozen bag. You just toss it in the freezer and cook it. And it was so good that I yelled in the aisle. I was like, this chicken is so good. And so then two ladies walked over and they said, well, I got to try it. And so you're welcome, Costco. I sold some chicken. And if you're loving the Girardi stuff and you can't believe how crazy it is, my YouTube dive is 90 minutes and it goes on a wild ride, taking judges on cruises, a ring of grifters lurking around hospitals in LA. Check it out. Subscribe to my YouTube, DM me and let me know what thoughts you have. Until next time, don't be like Erica. And there's too many ways to not be like Erica. I can't even narrow it down to one. So I'll just say, if you're thinking of something and you have a decision point, ask yourself what Erica would do and do the opposite. <laughs>